0: You are about to take on one of the toughest assignments a leader can take on, and that is taking over a brand new team. And there is definitely a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. And the wrong way to do it really causes a lot of detrimental effects long term downstream that makes it almost impossible to get their trust back. So we're going to dive into the right way to do it, things that you could do the wrong way to do it, and dive into some statistics that will show there is definitely a problem out there when it comes to leadership in general and definitely taking over a brand new team. It's time for the Leadership Lifestyle Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Stress, and I know whether you're starting a small business, you're a solopreneur or a leader in a large company, you need to collaborate with people. I want to help you make those collaborations fulfilling, productive, and as profitable as possible. So every Monday morning, we'll drop a new podcast episode to do just that. So let's get into today's discussion. Welcome to another podcast of Leadership Lifestyle. I hope you have a great week planned ahead for you. So, today we're going to talk about how to lead a new team and not piss off everybody in the process. One of the toughest assignments you possibly could have as a new leader or maybe you're newly promoted into leadership and you haven't had the opportunity to really learn how to lead people, which I know sounds crazy, but we're going to get into some other statistics that'll show this is actually quite normal, which is kind of shocking, but true is true. And we're going to dig into that and Ways you can really shoot yourself in the foot and do things the wrong way, but of course, this being a developmental podcast of things, we're going to get into some things that really help, and there is they're a lot simpler than you might think, and you don't really have to invest a lot of effort and time in in or definitely not money. You just have to have a different way of looking at things because when you're taking over a new team, one of the biggest things is how you know the the response of the team, how they accept you as the leader, even though they kind of have to. You've been promoted and put in charge of them, but they really only want to know two different things. They want to know what you know, like what are your skills? What is your knowledge? What do you bring to the table that people well above them said, this is the person that's going to lead. And and you almost have to prove why. They want to know what you know. The next thing they want to know is how do you lead? In other words, how do you treat people? How do you interact with them? Those are some of the biggest things that they need to know that they're going to have anxiety for. And the problem becomes, you know, anytime, whether it's that or or any kind of initiative, even if you've been on a team for a while, here's the thing, lack of clarity, lack of really knowing what is coming. If there is a void of information, it is always filled with pessimism and negativity and unproductive behavior, all of those things. And the sooner you can bridge that gap, the better. So in other words, when you think of like situational leadership, and for those of you who haven't gone down the the, the learning path of situational leadership from the Ken Blanchard companies, you really need to. This is probably one of the most helpful tools I have ever used with a team because it really shows how people are different and, and you're matching your leadership style to what they truly need in that moment, not just in the short term or even the long term, but whatever they're working on right then or whatever position they have, it really helps you clarify how to really approach that person. So you really got to get into that. But the first block of situational leadership is you don't know what you don't know. You know, you just got hired. You just got this position and you don't know what you don't know because you haven't been there. You couldn't possibly know. And that's, you know, you've celebrated, you go on to a dinner, celebrate your promotion, celebrate your hire, whatever the case might be, but you're just giddy. You're happy. Of course you should be. You just earned something. It's not long before you go into the second phase of you now start to realize or you do know what you don't know as people approach you with questions, as you start tackling issues and things like that. And it just, you know, we've talked in, in other podcast about onboarding people onto your team correctly. Well, now we're kind of doing everything in reverse when it comes to the leader. How do you onboard yourself onto this team? Because it's up to you to do that. You know, when you think you're leading a team and you bring people on, it's, it's just something you do. It's part of your, your activities of hiring someone, but you're kind of on your own as a leader to do that. And oftentimes Times leaders are in such a rush to prove what kind of change they can implement, the impact of the team, all of those things. And you're, you're, you're focused too much on what you're doing rather than what the team needs. And, and uh, as I said before, leadership's not about you, but later... It will be about you when you spend all your time and energy really building up the team, really trying to get to know them and make them self-sufficient. Get to a point where they just don't need you anymore. So before we dive into what roadblocks you're going to have and things you need to worry about, I want to go over a couple articles with you, and these will be posted in the show notes. Really helpful articles on um, some statistics on um, bosses in general and some some new bosses um, statistics and and how things can definitely go wrong. So the first one's a, a LinkedIn article from. Paul Patron, and talking about some Swedish researchers that um, study 3,100 leaders over 10 years. The men who reported having bosses they didn't respect were over 60% more likely to suffer a heart attack or another life-threatening cardiac condition. So I'm not saying every uh, leader or every situation is causing that, but you definitely can. So here's the important of ha- the importance of having good bosses. So three out of four employees report their boss is the worst and most stressful part of their job. Most people's lives are worse off that they have a boss that stresses them out and, and try to imagine how much happier, more productive they would be if they had the right boss. The average organization is 50% as productive as it should be, thanks to the less than optimal leadership practices. And I've talked about this in a previous podcast for sure. It's called the hidden productivity killer of how we interact as leaders and just really drive the team and they could be doing so much more. And it's really not about just measuring impacts and outputs of, of how many widgets you're making or whatever you're trying to create or whatever kind of job you have. It's just, there's things leaders do that just turn the team off that make them work a little less harder than they should be or could be if we just get out of our own way. 86% of companies say developing new leaders is an urgent need. So think about that for just a second. 86% of companies. Okay. Think about where you're at right now. What company you're for, and you—many um, of you probably work for great companies. I certainly do. But how many really, truly invest in that? I mean, really do. Here we're saying 86% say it's important. Are 86% of you getting leadership training? I'm going to guess not. Thankfully, a lot of you are doing it on your own because if you're listening to a podcast like this, it means you're trying to really grow and get new ideas and have different kinds of discussions and things like that. 85% of executives are not confident in their leadership pipelines. So here's a, here's an interesting paradox, if you will. You know, we know it's important to develop leaders and we know we're not doing it. And now 85% of executives are not confident in their leadership pipelines, meaning who's coming behind them. So it's almost kind of like they know how they've been raised, so to speak, uh, in their career, and they didn't get people helping them and developing them the way they should have. And they're seeing that downstream, that that's not happening in the future, and they know it and it worries them. 65% of employees say they take a new boss over a pay raise. Imagine day in and day out, Driving to an office or production plant, a warehouse, whatever kind of work you do and hating it or, or you pull into the parking lot, you know who drives what car and you you know when that certain leader is there and when they're not there and it really just changes your mood even before you walk in the building or hopefully you see your your work besties car and you think it's going to be okay. But 65% of employees say they'd rather have a new boss than a pay raise. 51% of managers are disengaged with their job and an additional 14% are actively disengaged. In other words, 50, 51% are kind of just tuned out, really not pushing the team forward. They're just kind of there, uh, like getting through that day rather than thinking futuristically of what's coming. And 14% are just flat out showing they're disengaged. So that leaves about 35% of managers that are actively trying to make the team better, trying to make the individuals better, trying to make the work better. So imagine that, just 35%. But the good news is that you are probably probably part of that 35%. If you're listening to podcasts like this, or you're you're just researching or trying to learn and grow, that's probably who you are. And that's a good thing. 87% of companies say they don't do an excellent job developing leaders at all levels. And this is interesting, It's probably more of a cost factor, but certainly I'm sure the, the C-suite of most companies go to all kinds of conferences and they bring people in to do training and all kinds of stuff. But and on all levels, does that happen or do we think, oh, well, uh, you know, later in their career, they'll get it or I, I know it now so I can teach them. This is probably because most organizations have yet to figure out the secret sauce to developing managers. Well, there's really no secret sauce. If, if it was that important to you, it's not just like having a training and development department, but really, like if you think about people who are dynamic trainers who love to develop people, why can't companies find that kind? of person and put them in place if it was important to them they would do it Uh, employers have managers they didn't like were 60% more likely to suffer a heart attack and this is something I said a little while ago think about that again employees have managers they didn't like were 60% more likely to suffer a heart attack think about where you spend the majority of your time it's probably at work and and how that stress and interaction is all the time just wears you out and that's just staggering to think you can have that kind of impact on somebody. So here's another article from Forbes, from David Sturt and Todd Nordstrom. 10 shocking workplace stats you need to know. So in a recent study on careerbuilder.com, a whopping 58% of managers said they didn't receive any management training. And that's pretty normal. They don't really get it for up to four or five years. But yet here we have put people in charge of things. Lee Branham, author of the Seven Hidden Reasons Employees Leave revealed that 89% of bosses believe employees quit because they just want more money. They never look at themselves and they never wonder why they haven't built that relationship. Um, you got somebody who's leaving, you kind of should know why because you made those connections. Number three, the 80s band Loverboy, Everybody's Working for the Weekend, is still ranked number one on VH1's 100 Greatest Songs because it's kind of a paradox of a song because how many people just want to get away from work? Or you listen lately, um, I, I was listening to a speech Gary Vee gave about how sad it is that people are so focused on, oh, thank God it's Friday. They just live from weekend to weekend, the bookend of where they spend the majority of their time, their development, their opportunity to make a life life for themselves and money <laughs> that they can't wait for that to be over so they can just veg out. That's so sad. A Harvard Business Review study revealed 58% of people say they trust strangers more than their own boss. 58% is just amazing. In global studies, they reveal that 79% of people who quit their jobs cite lack of appreciation as the reason for leaving. Recognition is so easy to do, and most companies don't do it. Number six, American workers forfeited nearly 50% of their paid vacation back in 2017. I'm going to guess this status changed a little bit, but think about that. 50%, they just didn't go, and why? What kind of pressures are they under that they can't even take time off? I remember one time I was getting ready to go on vacation, and there was a lot of things going on, and there always is, and I hope you work for a company where stuff's always going on because that means some great things are happening. But, you know, I was getting ready to go on vacation and they said, oh, you're going to go now or this or that. And I said, listen, if this operation is going to shut down simply because I didn't walk through the front door, there's a lot of things wrong. Number one, I'm severely underpaid if I have that big of an impact on an operation. And number two, what is everybody else doing? Like, how do we not have things in place that one person can't step off for a little bit? That's pretty sad. We have kind of missed the boat on a lot of things. Another career builder study released revealed that two out of every five employees suggest they've gained weight at their current job. That's just a a byproduct of stress factor that they've just gained weight out of out of stress and anxiety, and they, they don't focus on their wellness. Number eight, people still fall in love at work. A study by Glassdoor suggests that men and women are almost equal when it comes to finding love in the workplace. Women find love a little more frequently than men. However, 52% reported finding love at work compared to only 48% of men. Well, that's certainly true for me. My wife and I just celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary, and we met at work, so we're part of the 50 On number nine, the conference board reports that 53% of Americans are currently unhappy at work. And if you consider that, half of the workforce is unhappy. That's just ridiculously sad. But when you think about the other statistics about half of them aren't taking vacations, I wonder if it's the same half. But now you wonder why when you go into places and the service levels are, are horrible or people just don't seem to care or they're tuned out. Well, now you know. And number 10, recognition is the number one thing employees say their manager could give them to inspire them to produce great work. That is definitely one that's missing. So you can clearly see with all these statistics that there is a huge mount in decline just with any team, let alone something you're taking over new. So here's some things I like to talk about. So I call this the four protesters when you take over a team, because inevitably, you know, so a lot of people come running to you just quietly off to the side. and They want to tell you everything about the team and who does work and who doesn't do work and all of those things. And it's really easy to kind of fall for that and and want to build allies and relationships and all that the wrong way. But inevitably, when you take over a team and I'm talking about just the group of people that don't really want to work. The reason I call them protesters is not because they're out in front of your building and waving signs and marching and and yelling and screaming. I'm not talking about that. But they just quietly don't work. Like we talked about in those statistics, how unproductive teams really are when the manager's not engaged. So the very first protester is the king or queen of bluntness. So this protester, they're the ones that are the outspoken ones. They're going to tell you, this is dumb. This is stupid. This doesn't work. Why are we doing this? all of those things. What they're really saying is they're not going to do it. And they think they've got all the solutions and all the answers and things like that. And these are also typically people who kind of don't want to be in charge. Or this could be the person that, well, maybe they thought they were going to get the position you got. Uh, I'll never forget one time I uh, took a, a job with a company. I was already working with a company, but they had an opportunity in another city. It was a one time I moved my entire family from Florida to Tennessee for a job. And I was told 70 people applied for this position and I wound up getting it. And it turned turns out that three people that reported directly to me, um, applied for that job and they didn't get it after their interview. And of course it was, they they want to know well, what was so special about me and things like that. And when, so you have people telling you, you know, just being spoken, outspoken about what's right, what's wrong, what they're going to do, what they're not going to do. They're really telling you, they're just not going to do it. Or they're not going to do half of this stuff because it's dumb. Or when the team doesn't accomplish something, they're going to sit there and say, well, I told you we weren't going to, you know, this was dumb. It's not going to work. So they're the king and queen of bluntness. Uh, the second kind of protester is what I call the pseudo-achiever. You know, the total fake image. The one that looks like they're doing stuff, but they really aren't. Uh, a lot of times this person is um, just running around and they look so busy. They're swamped. They're—they're. They're, if they got paperwork on their desk, it's stacked piled high, but they, they really aren't getting anything done. You're not seeing a lot of production out of them. But, and this is the one that always seems to want to, what I call, I guess, like buddying up to the leader and trying to follow them around and, and give them good advice and almost compliment the leader a little bit too much, things like that, trying to hide the fact that they aren't doing anything. So the pseudo-achiever, and I'm sure we've all seen that person in our operation or, or in our offices where they, they act like they're doing so much, but they just really haven't produced anything. Uh, the next one I call, um, I hope I don't get uh, Disney upset, but the Eeyore protester. Think about Eeyore on, on the Winnie the Pooh series, where just totally depressed, totally unsure of himself, woe is me, that kind of stuff. And that is a sign in a sense of a protester in that they they have so much uncertainty about their own abilities, they kind of make that a, a calling card, a forefront of, well, I'm probably going to fail, but I'll, I'll give it a try, but I'm probably not going to be able to do it. And what they're really not, they're they're really not going for They're really not producing great work because they're already setting themselves up. Their mindset is completely screwed up because they're already telling you they can't do it. So in a, in a sense, they're almost trying to give themselves permission to fail up front. And you got to you know, seek that out and start asking some questions and digging deep into that one. And the last one, one is I call the stealth protester, and this is somebody who's super quiet, kind of hiding in a sense, and they just don't interact with people, don't talk about much. They they hope nobody notices them. They're the one that maybe you got a a meeting in a conference room and nobody calls on. People interrupt them constantly. But the thing is, a lot of times this stealth protester is, is one that could have all the answers or a lot of the answers, and they just feel like nobody gives them any credit. Nobody gives them any ability to speak or really learn from them and see what they're all about. And they can bring a lot to the table, but they're often so ignored that it never happens. And you got to really look at your team. And when you're not hearing from someone, there's one or two things going on there. Either they don't want to be there outright and they wish they worked somewhere else, or we're not getting what we should be getting out of them because nobody's simply asking them and they've just shut down. And those are some things that you got to get into as the new leader and really try to understand them. So those are the four protesters that I have uh, seen over the course of of my career in leadership as I take over a new team. So let's talk about some things you definitely don't want to do. And then, of course, we're going to finish up with things you definitely want to do. So definitely don't assume your team had great leadership before you. This is one of the biggest mistakes new leaders make is they come into an operation and why do you guys do that? Or we didn't do this at my last office. What the heck? The, The problem is, even if you're right and you're just talking out loud, you're taking it out on the team. It is not their fault of what kind of leadership they had before you came along. It's not. And that could be a number of things. It could be things they just don't do, things they don't understand, things that weren't even asked of them before that they just don't you maybe you maybe you have all this great leadership knowledge and you know it works uh, but you come in and the way you present it is everything and if you present it like how can you people not know these things and you assume they had great leadership before but they just don't care you have put such a wall in between you and them of of a breakdown and trust that is so hard to break when you do that number two definitely do not allow bad rumors and false thinking to fill the void where information should be. So in other words, as soon as you come in, you want to be talking to them about, hey, the first thing I want to do is really get to understand all of you and the operation. Because remember what I said at the very beginning, they only want to know two things out of the new leader. What do you know? What are your credentials? And how do you do things? And those are some things you can set up front that if you don't do that, I promise you bad information, false information, negativity, rumors will fill that void if you don't spell it out for them. Number three, definitely do not think they're there to serve you. Now, if you have a budget where you have a personal assistant, go and hire one. But that is not what your team is there for. So don't treat them that way. Uh, this is a huge mistake, especially if, if you've gotten a high level position where a lot of people report to you or they, they obviously know you're getting paid well, all those kinds of things. You, you, you don't have to tell people you're in charge charge they already know. There's no need to try and flex on them, if you will. And lastly, don't decorate your office first or whatever space you have that is yours. That's got to come later because when you do that first, that's kind of a sign of it's more important to you about how you look or your environment than what they need. Now, I'm telling you, this is super important. That can wait. That can absolutely wait. So now let's talk about three things, three categories, if you will, the three C's of what you should definitely do when you take over a new team. And that is to be curious, to be clear and be convicted. The three C's. So number one, be 100% curious, which you want to be able to do. And this is the first week, first day after you've gone through all your goofy administrative stuff. I mean, you got to do all that stuff, ID badges and stuff like that. I get all that. But after that's done, you, you you got your team, you've turned loose, or maybe you're in the same company, you got promoted, all that's done, right? So week one, you want to under Understand the people on your team, and this is where you really want to think about things like Enneagram numbers and working geniuses, and you may not go through those surveys and actually figure that out, but be thinking that way. People's backgrounds, how they get things done, why they think what they think. Get their feedback. What are they thinking of what goes on in their office, and just ask them two simple questions. What do you love about your job? What is the most frustrating thing about your job? And just let them talk. you got to understand, it's you're not there to fix them yet. You just want to know where they're coming from. So whatever they say they love about their job or they're frustrated about their job, that's them. That That's their thought. Just accept it. Next thing, learn about their personal story. I mean, there are useful nuggets that are not even work-related that come from their personal story. You know, if you have somebody who's constantly badgering other people about expenses and things like that, well, maybe they grew up poor and they finally quote unquote made it or they're making a good income, but they're scared to death of being out of money. Or you, there's just so many things in their personal life that could affect how they are today, because that's pretty much what happens as we grow up. It takes a pretty severe event to change somebody once they've developed. So a lot of their background really brings into play of who they are now. So if you notice so far, we haven't even really talked about work just yet, just the people. So think about, I mean, how do you go to battle with people you don't know? And I don't mean you're battling the people, but your team is going to battle in business of how do you produce better product? How are you more productive? How do you you increase profit margins and sales and things like that, you're going to business battle. And why would you wanna do that with somebody you don't know? So step one is to be curious. Now step two, depending on how fast step one goes, maybe it's week one, maybe it's week two, be clear, be 100% clear. And this is where you bring in the vision, mission, and strategy in your own space. Meaning your company probably, I would hope, has something like that. But you can still do that with whatever department you run, division you run, one business unit or multiple business units, what kind of vision, mission, and strategy are you creating? You know, What is the culture going to be and how are you going to protect the the boundaries of that culture? What does winning look like? Have you described it to them so they understand that? So you think about a vision, uh, like an end product, how you've made clients feel, solving their problems or producing amazing items that really help them do that. And what mission do you go on to do that? What do you guys believe in as a team? And then the strategy is the daily behaviors and beliefs that contribute to that. How will you do that? At this point, if you've spelled all that out, now you can decorate your office. Lastly, be convicted. Be 100% convicted. This is not about you. This is about the execution space. So you've gotten to know them. You've laid out the vision, mission, and strategy. You've talked about your culture. You've talked about how you're going to protect the culture. And now it's time to get things done. This is where you can do things because you've heard from them, you understand them, you've laid out what we gotta do, how we're gonna do it. So it's really all about them. Are you living the strategy every single day that you laid out? Are you gonna protect the culture? And what you have to do above all else is three things. Does the team know what winning is? Two, does the team know without looking much, without digging into too many reports or anything like that, do they know they're actually winning or losing at that point? In other words, you have given them so much feedback at every opportunity you can share something with them, you did that they know they're on the right track. But lastly, and more importantly, do they correlate their daily behaviors to contributing to the winning? Because it's one thing to understand what winning looks like and that the team is winning. But if they don't think they contribute or they don't understand how they contribute, that's you're going to deprogram them. And that's how you get that stat where 50% of productivity is just lost into outer space because of the lack of leadership. They got to understand that every single position matters. Every role in every position everything they do matters and contributes to that winning. And the very last thing is rinse and repeat. You will plateau if you aren't creating new levels of things, new levels of winning, new goals, things like that. You have to have people ready for more. So if you've entered a team and done it the right way, this is that's how you're gonna make amazing impacts, that you've included them in that journey, again, You're already in charge. You don't have to tell anyone. In other words, if your team succeeds, they know you're the head coach. You don't have to take credit for things. You have to build the team in a way they don't need you anymore. And when that happens, that means you're ready for a bigger challenge. Somebody else on that team is ready for a bigger challenge. And the mission you originally set out to do to make a difference in that company happened because you developed your team, put all your energy into them because leadership isn't about you. Until later, it will be about you. Thank you so much for joining me for another show. Please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues and start up your own discussions on the topic of the show. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss a show. And check out the links in the show notes and give us a rating so we know how we're doing and five stars would be pretty sweet. So until next week, remember, you know you have to get work done with other people. But how you get done work with other people is entirely up to you.